Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Monday, February 19th, a happy family day slash President's Day holiday to our friends here in North America. And I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? I'm doing well. Had a nice holiday weekend, even if it's not a holiday celebrated in Quebec. I always do forget about the American holidays and then some way through the day, like whatever American media I'm tapped into, I don't get and I'm confused. And then I'd go on Twitter and half the people I follow being Americans, I put it together eventually. How's your holiday weekend been? Pretty slow for the most part, uh, on call for work this weekend. And so busy Friday, Saturday night, I fell asleep at probably 10 PM last night and slept to 9 AM this morning. Beautiful. Love that. So I'm definitely feeling rejuvenated. Uh, and, and yeah, it was, it was nice to have a slow weekend after a bit of a busy push here the last couple of weeks. And Every day just gets us closer to the spring. We're going to jump above zero again this week here in London. So just (laughs) planning for any sort of outdoor activities that I can get to. Yeah, we got a return to winter down here, up here. Don't know about, I was looking on a map and realized Montreal is like not that much further south than Sudbury, which I had never quite realized before. So up here, over here, uh, we got plenty of snow and... It was kind of like a lot nastier cold than it should feel when it's this cold in mid-February, just how out of the blue it was. Yeah, the the weather teased us in with with the warm week, the the February Mm. thaw, and then hit us back when we weren't expecting it with another cold drought. I definitely felt the same way. There were a couple days this week where I walked outside to my car and was just way more deceptively colder in those couple of steps before I go into the next warm thing that takes me into the next warm building. So I can't complain too much, but yeah, it was definitely a surprising bit of nip in the air this past week and uh, just meant all the more reason to bundle up, hunker down, tune into the television, computer, streaming device, whatever you're uh, using and tune into a Interesting and a little bit unique week of sports. Uh, NHL tennis rolling in the same way that we've known it uh, last couple of weeks, but uh, a UFC event here in the cards that we'll lead with and and also the All-Star Weekend in the NBA. So lots to talk about on today's pod. Max, I think we'll start with the most recent result and shout out by a new champion in mixed martial arts as well as potential upcoming events. Uh, So I'll I'll let you kick it off. That's right. UFC 298 happening this past weekend, headlined by a title defense by Alexander Volkanovsky. And Ilya Tupuria, the challenger, knocks him out in the second round to take the belt. And I think a, a year ago, 11 months ago, this would have been a shocking upset. Um, less surprise over it, despite Volkanovsky's five title defense reign, most of which he's looked incredibly dominant and will circle back to. But this result kind of a vindication, though, for me, just in you need to give these undefeated finishing win streak guys chances sooner rather than later. 
because sometimes the skill gap that we have in our head isn't as existing is just not there and Volkanovsky was that guy once honestly like I saw his fight against Mendez and didn't think he had anything for Holloway um but Ilya Tapuria the guy that goes like seven eight no in the UFC six of those eight wins coming by finish kind of just incredible grappler great footwork great power uh you just want to see those type of guys move up the rankings and get a chance to show what they can really do because sometimes they match up really well against the best as Taporia did here uh, just stylistically having the grappling to take the offensive point wrestling out of Volkanovsky's game and in the stand-up and power uh, or in the stand-up with the power and footwork to push him back. He did a fantastic job getting in close, distracting with a couple hooks up top, alternating, confusing the angles to find the hidden one uh, in a flurry that just completely shut the lights out. He's shown that power in multiple fights, so not totally shocking. Uh, a lot of people on Reddit commenting about the proximity to Volkanovsky's last knockout loss, as well as the fact that it has been a horrible time in the UFC to be a champion over the age of 35 in the past few months. And just how reigns that a year two years ago in Kamaru Usman Israel Adesanya and now add Alexander Volkanovsky to the list where they looked unperturbed untroubled dominant in a lot of their wins um have all been toppled and father time ultimately loses to no one uh, so just wanted to take a moment to reflect on the reign of Alexander Volkanovsky it was a bit of a strange one for a five to title defense reign when two of those defenses and the winning fight came against the same fighter in Max Holloway. But when you look at the story of the rankings and Holloway's fights before, after, and around, uh, it's hard to deny those matchups. I think the peak of Volkanovsky's career was that third fight against Holloway, a completely dominant win that like no one has before or after shown against Max Holloway. And I think a fight that most people consider to be the ending of Holloway's prime and true end of the blessed featherweight era. Uh, and then those fights against Rodriguez and Ortega just showing another level. I think in hindsight, we might look back and wish there had been more mobility and more chances for Volk to show what he can do against more of the division. Uh, but during these past five years, I don't think anyone's questioned that he's the best featherweight. Uh, the eye test showed it. The another true carrier of like a fused mixed martial arts style that doesn't lean to just a striker who learned to do this or just a grappler who figured out some things about footwork, just someone who studied every aspect of the game and brought them all together in his own way to be the best for a long time. I don't think he's done in the sport, uh, but we will see what happens next. I think it's a bit of a top heavy featherweight right now, Ortega and Rodriguez. Fighting shoot soon should determine some of that, but Vulcan Holloway and Taporia have done a good job putting some of the challengers down. Uh, so I don't quite know who's next for it, but excited to see where Taporia goes from here and hope for more of that mobility with a lot of these young, hungry guys getting challenges. One guy 
who will be fighting at the featherweight in the featherweight division and looking to make some waves. Aljamain Sterling, moving up from 135, will make his featherweight de debut on the UFC 300 card, which has now been finalized, at least the main card, Owen. Um, they kind of fumbled the bag a little on this one, didn't get this, I think, the speculation is they had their eyes on some sort of really big super fight, maybe a return from GSP or Khabib, or they're hoping to get Izzy and Pereira in there. And no one knows what exactly it was they were targeting. It said Leon Edwards accepted three different fights. Um, the timing of Ramadan going on during the card, unfortunate for several of their superstars or Muslim and practice um nonetheless they're able to get three quote-unquote title fights on the card and a lot of matchups that should be really fun if everyone stays healthy so we'll just go through the main card i'm curious how many of these fighters you know oh the headliners will be alex pereira defending his title against jamal hill uh, who became the champ, beating Glover Teixeira when the light heavyweight division was in that strange uh, no-champ consistently era and then had to vacate uh, with injury. So he is undefeated as a champion, and he'll get a chance to unify that. In the UFC women's strawweight division, Wei Li Zhang will defend... Zhang Wei Li will defend her belt against her countrywoman, Xiaonan Yan. And then the last, this is where the quote unquote title comes in. Justin Gaethje will defend the BMF belt that he won against Dustin Poirier last fall against Max Holloway, who makes his return to the lightweight division. You've got a perplexed look there. Well, I, I, I know the four gentlemen you mentioned, not the two women, unfortunately. I didn't... You, but you mentioned Max Holloway fought Volkanovski three times. Yeah. So yeah. he's moving up. Yeah. So isn't he washed? I don't he's he's not washed. He's just not at the level he was. So washed. And yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting fight. Holloway tried to move up to 155 four years ago, I think. Wow against Dustin Poirier and you just saw in those first initial rounds that Poirier was the guy landing harder and his punches were stinging more and Holloway's always a volume guy who can like eat some of your best shots to throw more of his um, but he just three of his shots weren't having as much of an effect as one of Poirier's and so he what the power just pushed him back and even if his chin wasn't taking it um so that it makes it interesting because Gaethje hits even harder than Poirier. So he, I think he's had a bit longer to prepare for this. I don't know if he's going to do anything differently in terms of the body composition. He was clearly the lighter, smaller guy against Poirier. Um, but that chin is still uncracked somehow. So if he can take Gaethje's best and get Gaethje to sprint a little, the cardio gives him a chance. And the BMF thing, like I, I don't deny Holloway the chance to go out and earn that title. Uh, he's had plenty of showings that would put him in that category. And it's kind of funny how, like they, 
they just decide this is going to be a defense of that because Holloway is in that caliber or tier of fighters. Uh, and I kind of hope they keep it subjective like that. But it really, this is a gimmick to make sure they have one more belt fight. But it also lets them justify making it five rounds, which I have no complaints about. So Very interesting. I feel bad for the other fighters in that division, though. Uh, and a lightweight? Yeah. Like, for not getting a chance at that? Yep. Uh, like, Gaethje's kind of at that, like give me the fights I want because I've been earned them or I'm not taking anything. And he fought, uh, I can't think of the guy, Rafael Fiziev last March and like defended his ranking against an up-and-comer. So he's not doing any more of that. Yeah. Uh, it was this or the belt and Makashev's on Ramadan. So, Yeah, that's a good point that you mentioned. I don't, I didn't, I had forgotten about that. So that changes slight changes my point slightly uh i i heard a lot of reasoning behind ufc not going all the way out for the large expectations that their fan base had set for ufc 300 with one of those premier names on the card just to give you some context of how desperate they were like jamal hill is recovering from a like a torn acl mcl a kidney tendon and he tore it last summer so that is like a one-year recovery injury. Yeah. And up until a week ago, his agent was saying he will not be back till the summer. Uh, and he had a statement like being on UFC 300 was not on my radar up until like three days before he signed the contract. So this is someone who is just taking can't say no money to fight at not 100% to save a card. Um, yeah, they were throwing it at like John Jones and Stipe and trying to get something there for sure. But I, I think they heard a lot of no's. Because the way I've seen it framed is that they were willing to let this be less enticing for the more casual fan because it's 300 and they're going to pull in fans no matter what, because that, that round number is is just so enticing. And then the the big one that'll come around potentially later this year is is the mcgregor card you just put mcgregor on a on a pay-per-view and it's gonna sell out and bring a ton of eyeballs in and so you don't want to really stack the deck and put him on 300 because then you're not getting the the same potential of that greater audience bump for those two things but with the context that you've provided then it, it kind of changes my point of like looking at this card None of these names make me a casual fan want to No, like they had watch. GSP, so. Frank Muir on UFC 100. They brought Brock Lesnar on. They had Daniel Cormier fighting Anderson Silva on UFC yeah. 200. Like yeah. this is a caliber below that in terms of just what the people on the card have accomplished in the sport and just the casual name recognition for sure. I think this does well, but I, I don't see this doing more than like four or 500,000 pay-per-view buys. Very interesting. Well, we'll keep our eyes on it as we go here for more news of not just UFC 300, but any future events. Speaking of desperation to change a product or market it for more viewership, the NBA. And it's All-Star Weekend. Uh, every year seems to hit a, quote, new low of ratings and, and social media anecdotal opinion. 
Um, I feel like we've been at this point now for 10 years and minus the dunk contest in 2016, minus the Elam ending in 2017 and 2020, there there hasn't really been those great moments that at least our our older generations tell us about when they have nostalgia looking back on some great dunk contests and they usually just reference the Vince Carter one and I think they forget that there's probably some stinkers in between those points but all Quite the points Howard, Blake Griffin yeah but all the all the points have been made right like the three-point evolution has changed the way that this con- the game itself goes and, and players don't want to get hurt and there's no incentive for them to try uh the dunk contest thinks there's not even real NBA players in it. Unfortunately, Jalen Brown was willing to offer himself up. That's an all-star competing and just put on one of the most memeable dunk performances we've seen in a while. Uh, it's probably as bad as John Collins trying to jump over that fake plane and kicking the crap out of it. But uh, yeah, tough look there. We're not going to see any stars in the dunk contest for a while because of that, unless they put a higher price tag on it. And I think just overall, like, Unless you're getting professional dunkers who aren't basketball players, everyone's seen every dunk at this point. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. there's not a ton of new stuff there. Mac McClung with a little bit of ingenuity with the the throw to himself, but I mean he pulled that one out first, and that one maybe he should have saved for his last. So, um, yeah. And then who even knows what the skills competition is anymore? That one was just bizarre. No one was. No one's really trying i mean same with the nhl that we talked about just a couple weeks ago uh, honestly as long as the players and the people who are at the venue are having fun that's truly what matters but um if you're you're trying to grow it from a tv perspective there there needs to be some changes implemented and i think max you have a couple of ideas that you put down in notes here of of tweaks you'd like to see made in the format yeah we're here to save the all-star break um just wanted to shout out Tom Ziller's article briefly. He encapsulated and persuaded me completely that the all-star game itself just cannot be saved with the three-point revolution happening, I don't think quite 10 years ago, but seven, whenever Steph Curry became a household name in America, uh, the way basketball is played has just become irreversibly changed. And when you combine the prevalence and skill of the NBA three-point shot um, with the low-intensity defense and low foul calling, there's just no way for an NBA All-Star game to happen without the three-point shot deciding it. And the variability there just means chances are one team is going to be hotter than the other team and that that gap is going to come pretty quickly. And theoretically, you could have two teams with a couple different players who all get really hot and maybe have a very exciting back and forth who misses first game. Um, but the chances on that, you're talking like five, 10%. So it, it's going to, and having that continue throughout a game for uh, a continuous scoreline is just unlikely. In that vein of thought, I would love to have something like the hockey shootout they used to do at the NHL All-Star break. I don't know if they still do it, where every player in the All-Star break would go and take a breakaway with rotating goalies. And if you score on the breakaway, you stay in the pool and get to the back of the line, and it just keeps going. A last man standing wins. 
there was a lot of tension there. Uh, the shootout element made it much more static. So players were willing to go all out. Goalies kind of had some fun. I remember Carey Price turning backwards and trying to make the saves by looking at the glass at points and actually making some. Uh, so maybe not 100% serious, but I think that could you could bring all the players into it the nerves and tension would add a different element um, slow it down a little where no one wants to miss uh, maybe you go a little farther back from the three-point line uh, just to speed it up quickly but i think that would be a fun way to get all the players involved um, show off the three-point shot which is so vital and add some nerves and pressure uh, and just a different aspect of it rather than the traditional three-point shot. I don't know if you'd be interested in seeing that. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'd like to go in a little bit of a different direction. I actually thought the three-point competition out of everything was the most watchable event on the Saturday yeah, night. I, I mean, like we're saying, the three-point shot has become such a big part of the NBA. So, and like, this is something you can isolate and like take away the injury concerns. So show it off have some events to highlight it yeah i i don't hate the idea of the elimination but part of what it actually makes it so enticing is the ability for one shooter to get hot right like one of the most exciting things we saw was sabrina ionescu make nine out of her yeah. first 10 to start that that steph sabrina competition which seemed to be a hit by the way um, yeah i heard great things about it and I would love to go down that path even further. Like, let's bring back Kevin Hart versus Draymond Green in the three-point mm. shootout. Like, let's let's have yeah. not just our NBA players there, but maybe they're allowed to call out one person from Twitter every year, go up against them in a three-point competition, right? Like, how entertaining would that be? Yeah. Um, yeah, and then maybe that's your elimination style where where you bring more people into the fold because you go the elimination route, things might move a little bit quicker than the than the format of shooting twenty seven balls or whatever it is. Yeah, my worry is you like you make it too easy and just you have seven guys who can't miss from a three point point corner well, perspective. Yeah, so. We have four dudes who shot a twenty six. Like it's it's already yeah, getting to that. But point. just can you imagine like. Can you imagine like Dame and Steph just both on the line, like last two left, like looking at each other, just who's going to miss first yeah. going back and forth? Like, I feel like that could be really fun. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you could like, I kind of think the opposite way of what you just said when it comes to the dunk contest, at least like yeah. what makes it exciting is the name recognition and the players. Uh, you need to find a way to get that back involved. So I say, like, just go full combine, like replace it with a high jump. I think there's still <laughs> probably too much injury risk there. Yeah, uh, for them to try it, but like, I like you said, like every flavor of ice cream's been tried. So just like, go back to who can make the best pure yep. vanilla. Like let's let like get a sense well, of just how freakish these players are. The, the drop the draft the only place you really do that kind of combine stuff so it might be like i'm i'm comparing it with the nhl all-star yeah. break in my head constantly because that's well, the one i've watched more but like the, like that the slap shot competition is fun like just who can crank it the hardest who yeah. can jump the highest so similar to that note it's been thrown out that you just progressively raise the rim and who can dunk on like a 13 foot net yeah so it's still it's still the dunk component of it mm-hmm that's yeah. why I was thinking, just like, how can you do that in the most injury safe way? 
<laughs> also wouldn't ever happen, but it, uh, because of the injury note, I'd love for it to be a a poster contest. So have someone mm. defend oh, and man. someone attack. Now, yeah. guaranteed injuries there, but could you imagine how epic that would be? I think they tried it in another league somewhere. Oh, man. Yeah, I was also I was picturing like you actually get a high jump bar in front of the rim and they're constantly raising that and this is mm. an alternative too. Yeah. Yeah. Um this... but I think where it could be headed in a more realistic sense is along the lines of your third note here is taking out the dunk contest and putting in a one-on-one contest and just having the guys go up against each other in a game did seven or 11 one-on-one. That's what the league is kind of going towards with the showcases of offensive skills. And then, uh, I mean, what better way to, to have something to argue about meaninglessly than, Oh, Steph's better than Dame because he beat him one-on-one, right? Like that, <laughs> I think it just adds more talking points and, and could be something new and different. I just don't know if you'd be able to convince those top players to really compete in it. Yeah, the logic I've seen is you need to find a way to get these guys' egos involved and like lock, locking them in one-on-one saying, this guy's better than you. Like it just has that potential. Um, my idea was a little more harebrained. Right, like it's the three-point shot on the full court with the lack of all-star is the problem. So like... How can you change the game to take that three-point shot out of it? And if you have one-on-one, maybe you guys have, and like you're playing half court where you have to clear the ball, then just the nature of the defense changes that there's less of those open threes and you hope you could accomplish something three-on-three as well. Uh, I was thinking like uh, going that the picking nature uh, of the draft from previous years up until this uh, would actually work really well for three on three and where you have captains picking um, the thing I was thinking the problem is like how you decide the order when you have that many teams of three uh, with it being such an advantage kind of dicey and that you could throw a one-on-one element in there to mm-hmm. try and determine the seat and then maybe fan votes are the tiebreakers like if you have a total one-on-one round robin do seeding off that and then fan votes like break the ties for any players who have the same amount of points after head to head or something. Uh, like I'd love to see the strategy or mindset there of LeBron James looking and like, okay, which two guys can like help me beat, like what's the best mini team I can create. I think that makes the uh, lunch captain aspect more fun Mm -hmm. and maybe you can construct it in a half court way that takes the prevalence of the three-point shoot out and just less players becomes more about the chemistry and play style or alternatively take out the three-point line at the all-star game altogether make dunks worth three and then you have more people attacking the rim and then maybe a little bit more end-to-end without people just kind of all chilling around the arc, jacking up half court shots. Like the Luca thing was almost disgraceful. The three quarter shot that he just picked up and yeeted. Like <laughs> at, at some point, yeah. someone's got to say, "Hey, can we try like ten percent more, please?" In that same vein, I was saying I wouldn't mind seeing a coach say, "Like, hey, we're playing a half court zone. Like, we're not <laughs> no free shots once they walk across the half court line." And then like that encourages the offense to focus a little more on the passing and chemistry. And even if there's easy baskets, uh, the basketball might just be a bit more fun to watch and 
interesting coaching strategy too. Like, okay, you can have free two point shots, but you can't really try the three point uh, as frequently. So you get less variability for more continued scoring. Like, will you take that up or will you still try and force some threes? In any event, everything I think that they do, they need to add a money incentive to it. We saw it with the in-season tournament, how hard teams started playing. Once they had a shot at that, um, people will do a lot for money. And so uh, if you raise the the winnings, then you could get any of these guys' heads just a, that much more in the game, make it that much more of an exciting product. Yeah. Make it, do, Lord knows they can afford it. Yeah. Do some like fashion collabs with like the prizes being really unique items. Yeah. Like one of a kind. Ooh, I kind of like that. Well, I mean, there's supposedly much smarter people than us that should be coming up with stuff, but haven't seen any changes to it in the last few years. So in need of a bit of a shakeup here uh, as we leave basketball storylines and we've got some tennis talk here with uh, with a bit of a, a hot streak going right now for our boy, Mr. Yannick. Yeah, 12 and 0 is not a bad way to start 2024. And if you can win two and a half thousand points on the tour on that in that process, even better. Yannick Sinner wins the Rotterdam 500, dropping only a set this past week. Uh, going straight sets for a finals win over Alex Dimonar, who nonetheless played very well both to get to the final and in that final itself. Uh, Sinner didn't even look as good as he did in Australia. Oh, but just he's added that quality to that his game and found that level where he can not show up at 100% and still minimize the mistakes and play strong enough where his opponent is weak to just grind out the wins. And for guys to have these lengthy reigns at the top of the sport, that's a really necessary quality. And I mean, 19 of his last 20 matches, he has won, which is simply too ridiculous. And you expect to come back down to earth, um, maybe as the courts change outdoors for the sunshine double, even more likely when we get to the clay and there's a complete shakeup of the tour. Um, but it's hard to deny he's been the best player in the world for sometime right now and Rotterdam just kind of the icing on that pedigree so he will get prepare himself for Indian Wells where he'll have a chance to become number two in the world depending how that shakes out joining him there should be defending champion Carlos Alcaraz uh, he loses in the Buenos Aires semifinal, doesn't even get the chance to defend his title against Nicholas Jari, who frankly just showed up and looked really, really good. Uh, a little disappointing if you're an Alcaraz fan, but as we're, I was just saying with Sinner, those periods of absolute dominance come and go. So I don't think too, too much to raise the eyebrows at. Uh, Alcaraz has a chance to gain a few points at the end of the golden swing here in Rio de Janeiro. I think it's interesting. He would face uh, Diaz Acosta, who won the Buenos Aires title against Jari in the finals uh, pretty early in the quarterfinals. So they just have to win two matches. 
uh, I wrote this down like the other day when I was checking out the draw and Diaz Acosta was seated against Stan Wawrinka in the first round. So having just come off his first title, uh, I wasn't sure how that would actually go for him. I don't know if the match has taken place or not yet. Uh, Nicholas Jari and defending champ Kaminori on the other half of the draw. So if Alcaraz can go all the way, he would likely face one of those two in the final. Uh, so we get one more bellwether there. Uh, I think Alcaraz is going to be defending some nine, more than 900, like 1300 points coming up this month in March. Uh, he's 500 ahead of Sinner right now, who will be defending around 900. Medvedev still well, well ahead of the rest of the division, but falling more and more in that four spot as it's not looking like he's going to defend Dubai nor Doha. So that's another 750 points that drop. Uh, and he also a finalist last year at Indian Wells and the winner of Miami. Uh, Novak Djokovic, number one, and still defending virtually no points. I think he'll lose a couple uh, from not competing in Doha or Dubai uh, by a great chance at Indian Wells for him to further that lead. We'll talk more about that the week leading up to Indian Wells. I do want to pivot and talk the WTA for a minute or two as well here as Iga Swiatek has defended her title this past week in Doha, Qatar, uh, the Masters 1000 event. She plays a thrilling final against Elena Rybakina, getting her first win against Elena, which counts for even more that it was on hard court and not a play where you would more favor Iga in that matchup. Bit of a, a crazy first set, oh, it went 90 minutes. This was the only full sports match of I watched this week. Um, I threw it on in front of my family and <laughs> I was getting some stink eye when we passed the two-hour mark and it still yeah. wasn't even clearly halfway done. Jeez. Um, but just a lot of momentum shifts in that first set. Ribakina came out looking like she usually does on hard court against top three players in the world, got a double break early, and then swatted herself in the leg with her own racket off a serve and drew blood. So there was like a five-minute medical timeout, and she just, it gave Shriatek a chance to regroup, and she broke back twice um, in straight games, got herself up 5-4, before Rybakina recovered, broke Shratek and then failed to serve out the set, forcing yeah. the tie break. Um, and, and there had been a lot of back and forths of momentum, but you just felt like the, the tactics and consistency were a little more there for Iga. She was figuring it out more. She was getting less shaken in her mistakes and being able to maintain her mental consistently see whereas Rybakina was getting more in her own head more panicked uh the errors were piling up in a way that drew more I think she'll be really disappointed that the first serve uh was not present and she had to really fight for more of those points than she should have and it just forced her to not be able to capitalize on the success she was able to find on Fiatek's serve. That second set uh, was almost a foregone affair with the momentum and tactics that Iga put together in that first. And once she'd figured out how to deal with the power on the forehand and to attack that backhand at times and get the 
game moving more side to side to find some angles and challenge Rybakina's movement. The match was pretty much hers. So it's a successful title defense for her there. Uh, she has a chance to just continue a hot streak this week in Dubai. Uh, Elena Rybakina appearing as well. I misread the draw and thought Coco Goff was out, but she actually is competing as well as Arnia Sabalenka. So we have all top of the four top women in the world competing at this Masters 1000 event. So it, it rarely happens, but a chance for a really exciting semifinals there where you'd have Iga and Coco at the top and Arnia and Elena at the bottom. Uh, that would be three incredible matchups, hoping we at least get two of them. Uh, if we're lucky. So we'll be following that, seeing if Shvatek can continue the hot streak, what Rybakina looks like trying to bounce back from that, how Sabalenka looks in her first showing after Australian Open title defense, and um, Coco getting bounced very early in Doha has a chance to regroup and recover here. She does have some points to defend with a semi or a finals appearance. Uh, Naomi Osaka with a slightly more positive showing last week in Doha too. So we'll see if she can build on that. But like the first real little splash of points might make her career come back a little easier. Uh, Layla threw to the first round as well. So plenty going on in tennis. And sorry, that was so much to talk about. <laughs> yeah, you left me a minute here to to talk a little hockey and shout out our Leafs. I've left you too. Yeah, they... uh. 4-0 in the four games without Morgan Riley since the suspension. Um, I don't think we need to read into it too much because uh, they started a dude today on defense who I had never heard of before. Um, I think his name started with an L. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look him up because I actually <laughs> feel bad that I didn't have that prepped. <laughs> but it doesn't matter when you have the best player in the NHL and Austin Matthews. Um Bobby McMahon, six goals in his last four games. He's got more goals on this season now than Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi. <laughs> so oh, uh, if that if that says anything about how those two have been playing this year. Um, and then awesome Matthews, what can you say? Back-to-back -back hat tricks, uh, follows yeah. it up with another goal today. Probably should have had two against the St. Louis Blues, and and he's on pace for 75. And if he does that, he's the MVP, despite not even being in the conversation right now. So they keep it going. Marshall Rafai, give that guy a shout-out. Wow. Playing with Max LeJoy on the on the bottom six here in, in Toronto this week. Uh, Morgan, we miss you, and we know there's a trade coming soon, and that's probably going to have to do it for this one. But we'll be back to talk more hockey and more of all the sports on our next podcast. So thanks everyone so much for listening. As always, looking forward to touching back on what we talked about today and finding new things that happen during the week. Until then, thanks for listening. Sports Next Door, signing out. You get to the station, there's this crazy sound. Hey man, this ain't no fishing town. Yeah, they're fishing, but that ain't all.